Okay. Oh, belated Merry Christmas. Yeah. I'm an adult. And I'm young. And this is Young Adult. Where we're reading through Mistborn, The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, a book which has nothing to do with Christmas at all. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's kind of got Christmassy weather a lot of the time, except it's ash rather than snow. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you think about it as if it's snow, it's, it's kind of like snow. Just the gray. Lord, the Lord Ruler and his his elves. <laughs> exactly. It, it all horribly kind of, mutilated elves. <laughs> it all kind of works out to be in somewhat reminiscent of Christmas if you think about it way too hard. <laughs> I th- did I say we're covering chapter 13? I don't need it. Well, today we're covering chapter 13. <laughs> In the room, all young and hip. The snippet has our guy whose name I've already forgotten. Rashek. Is it? Oh no, no, no. Rashek was the previous one. This Sorry, guy. The snippet, the snippet talks about Rashek. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, no, it talks about Lendi. Who is our guy then? Our guy is. Do we know? We do. It's like. Or something. It's like he—he he was the—he's the priest who discovered Elendi as the hero of ages, but then later turned against him. Oh yeah, Man, Christmas has thrown me off completely. <laughs> I've forgotten way too much. Mm, well, yeah, I—I—I I, I read this chapter before Christmas, so uh, I also might be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. But I, I have—I have my, my the notes. Ch- the chapter so. itself I read recently, but the stuff that came before this chapter on Mogo Fagia now after all the excitement of yeah, Christmas. Yeah, I can I can never remember the name of this priest guy, but we do we have we have heard it. Uh, it's in it's in one of the early snippets. Um, <laughs> it doesn't like matter because he's not really a character. Like he kind of is, but he's just saying the same thing over and over, basically. Like oh I'm the guy who decided that the Lord Ruler was the hero but then decided he wasn't. Yeah. And he says that again here. But uh, this time he says that he announced his discovery to the other world bringers. It's capitalized. Um, yeah. There were a couple things capitalized that were unusual, I thought, in this. Oh, yeah, he also he also says uh, he connected all the signs of the anticipation to Elendi. I kind of just figured that was, like, maybe a name for the prophecy or for sort of whatever sort of messianic role the Hero of Ages held. Yeah, we don't really we don't really understand anything about any of this, which I suppose puts us in the same position as, as poor Sazed. Exactly. <laughs> Sazed and everyone, his, everyone else in the world, but specifically Sazed. With his big sheets of rubbings that he probably hasn't gotten a chance to read yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we do, we, do, we, you know, it's it's almost, I almost want to say diegetic, like the, it puts, it does kind of put us in the same position as all the characters who also don't know anything about this ancient religion, and kind of wish that they did. Yeah, it would be helpful. But, um, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, Sazed reading that line must have been like, oh, a word for the th- prophecy, that's what it was called, and a word for some kind of council of people whose, I guess, job it was to... So the name Worldbringers, it's, it's suspicious. It kind of sounds like maybe they're like trying to usher in the new world, something like that, you know? That, that's what it conjures up for me. It also sounds kind of sci-fi, right? 
It it does. It also sounds a little bit kind of uh, ominous. You think? I think world bringers. Well, yeah. There's a lot of not so nice ways. You know, <laughs> the new world can be born, as it were. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's funny, I, I did have a slightly ominous reaction to this, but my first thought was that it reminded me of the Endbringers from Worm, which, uh, is obviously not an intended reference, yeah, they're just, it's just a name for, like, a bunch of monsters in Worm. And, of course, Worm has been written, so... <laughs> yes, exactly, it's cl there's clearly no connection, I assume, uh, but if there was, it would be the other way around, obviously, but... The Endbringers yeah. were named after these guys, but like it, it's not even really a connection. It's just it's something that sparked in my head because I'm a big Worm fan. Just ominous things <laughs> being ominous. Um, so then we jump right into the chapter. Indeed, the oh, actually, it's funny. I I didn't make a note of this, but just looking at the chapter now, I do actually quite like this imagery at the beginning. It's like uh, the mist swirled really? and spun like monochrome paints running together on a canvas. Interesting. Night, I, I light, hated that. Light died in the West, and night came of age. I don't know. It's it's maybe a little overly spit over flowery, the top. but uh, I, I kind of like it. Again, it's it's kind of like the second or third time this book, where he's done some flowery description that feels a little out of place to me. Yeah. Well, night came of age is maybe going a little far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit goofy, but I don't know. I I kind of like the paint imagery. Um, and Vin points something out which I actually did. I remember noticing this. Yeah. In the previous chapter, and I forgot to say it, which is annoying. But yeah, the mists are coming earlier. In the previous chapter, I'm pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was the previous chapter. There was, or maybe it might have been a couple chapters ago. But there, there was, there was a moment where like, it was like twilight and the mists were appearing, and I thought to myself, oh, I thought they only appeared when it was actually dark. Yeah, more suspicious mist activity. I guess like I kind of, I kind of just thought it was like, oh, okay, I guess I misunderstood, but no. The mists are actually coming earlier. This chapter is certainly pretty heavy on the uh, mist activity. I think. <laughs> well, yeah, we we get some we get some more suspicious. I mean, more than suspicious. We get some more uh, we concrete get an, evidence yeah, of suspicious. We get mist another stuff. mist ghost at outbreak, which it's kind of annoying that the mist wraith is already taken. Because <laughs> it or, feels like it fits these guys better. Or is it? As then, kind of questions in the chapter. Like, kind of. I mean, yeah, there's a specific species called this right? But what if these are the real mistrates, and Kelsey is just wrong about what he thinks the mistrates are? I guess that's possible. I, I don't think that's true. I'm not going to put that down as a prediction, but like... Hmm. I never really thought about that, but yeah. Kelsey said so confidently that those are the mistrates. <laughs> yeah, I, I never really thought about where he got that idea. Like, it's possible he just saw one of those and went, oh, that's what a mistrate is. Yeah, that must be those mistrates that I keep hearing about. Well, but, but Kelsier I mean, had a chondra, so he must know stuff about them. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I feel like I feel like Orsor has actually mentioned that mistrates are like cousins to his species. So. Yeah, he's used the word mistrates, but he, again, he could have gotten them from Kelsier. If he got them from Kelsier, it'd be kind of strange for him to be calling them cousins or something. Yeah, that's true. That's how. But like, he could have gotten the word from Kelsier. That's true. Yeah, I, I imagine Kelsier's right. And that these are something else, but it's not impossible that uh Yeah, well it seems it seems likely that these are new phenomena because like it's run to them twice now in a fairly short period of time. Yeah, I I do think this is something that's only happening along with all the other um mist related stuff. Incidentally, Orisor 
outright says that he doesn't see anything significant in this mist change. And thinks it's just like, oh, it's, you know, it's weather, whatever, weather changes sometimes. He doesn't seem to consider the mist as kind of a, as mystical or as creature-like as mm. Vin considers it to be. I mean, there's a lot of times where Vin talks about the mist almost as like a being. That's true. Vin, Vin has a, a particular sort of spiritual connection to the mist in yeah. many ways that are sometimes literal. Very much so. Um, um, I, I, I'm, I'm pouring over Orso's words here because I feel like Orso would not deliberately lie, right? No, not, I don't think so. I, I don't, I'm not sure if we've had it specifically confirmed that he's not allowed to lie to his master. Left, that he's not allowed to lie to his master. Yeah, like I guess it, it's probably in the contract that you know you can't outright lie to your master. Yeah, you would think so, but I don't know. We we don't know that much about the contract, unfortunately. Unless telling the truth breaks the contract somehow in this situation, which mm -hmm. I'm sure is feasible depending on um, the circumstances of the particular contract. But yeah, uh, at least assuming assuming that he's not that he won't lie about this, he does like he he, he talks kind of evasively. He's like, "Oh, I'll think it's strange if you wish it." Yeah. But he does specifically say, "I don't see that it matters." Perhaps the mist is simply like any other weather pattern. So, if he said, "I don't see that it matters," and then stopped, maybe he was hiding information. But he seems to be more giving his opinion. Yeah. Than um, than outright lying about anything. So. That, that would be my guess. Actually, the idea that Orisor would say that he'll believe whatever she wants, he says that twice. Yeah. I don't know, it just it reminds me of our still somewhat nebulous ideas about, you know, Kandra and their sort of personalities and where they come from, you know? Yeah. Do they, you know, copying memories of their... We know they're superb actors, they're method actors. I don't know, just this idea that, like, maybe he can literally choose to believe things. It's very, sort of, alien. I don't know if that's, I don't know, I don't know if that's actually a thing that he can just do, but... It, it kind of sounds like maybe it is. Maybe, I hadn't really thought about that. Honestly, me neither until just now. <laughs> it was just, it was just another weird Warsaw thing to be doing. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean... The first half of this chapter is largely just Orsor and Vin talking. Yeah, he and Vin just sit there chatting. Um, she she says finally, which it's it's annoying to me that she hasn't pressed this before, honestly. But, you know, whatever. She, she says to him, like, yeah, I need to know more about you guys because we might be going up against another one. And even, even when she's specifically learning about him, there's still stuff that we don't get because of more contract stuff. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we specifically learned Kendra always have a contract. Without one, they are not allowed to enter human society. So it's an interesting rule. Yeah. Um, Kendra can't kill humans. They're all bound by that rule. It's not just something in Forrester's specific contract, which I honestly had assumed it was. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I thought it would be a... I guess I kind of assumed it would be a contract-specific thing, like mm -hmm. depending on the circumstances of what you're doing or who you're being. You might be allowed to kill, but apparently not. Yeah, uh, we we learned that they have blood, which sure whatever. I think I think we kind of already knew that. Yeah, I mean from when you got shot that time. Yeah, and they replicate the human body and stuff. So. Yeah, 
Well, but they they can turn their flesh transparent. So it's true. I was I was I was that's sort of sort of even though. Um, Again, not not something I'd really thought about he, too much. He says he says he's he's he says that he's about average when it comes to acting. He says that uh, that they're very skilled, but he does say that trying to find some sort of inconsistency or mistake is the best method to identify a counter. Even if it's really very very difficult, because they're all so good. Yeah. So that at least shows that they're not perfect mimics. Which I, th I think we would have assumed to an extent. Well, we were kind of wondering, like, if they can copy a person's brain, how could you ever identify it? Yeah, I suppose. So this, this still, it's still, I'm still not totally clear here. Is he just dancing around the fact that they can copy memories? Or is that just not true at all? And that's just something we just made up? <laughs> I feel like if he could copy memories, you would have to be almost completely devoid of sympathy or empathy at all because that would mean he would have he would have had all of Kelter's memories and would have known how close Finn was and would surely have understood why she's you know so resentful towards him well he didn't stay in Kelter's body very long but even if he knew that I, I mean surely he does know why? It, like, just because he knows why she doesn't like him doesn't mean that he is cool with her not liking him. Yeah, but him. if he has the memories, he'd have a much clearer understanding of how close they were, I think. Yeah, it's possible that the memories fade after he had binded the body, although yeah. he can still talk, so... Not completely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just... That was something I thought about a little bit. Like, what sort of emotions does he himself have as a Kandra? Uh, uh, she's like, are you, you know, are you this annoying to everybody, basically? And uh, he says, with most, I'm fulfilling a specific role. I have bones to imitate, a person to become, a personality to adopt. You have given me no direction, just the bones of this animal. Yeah. So that sounds real, like, like there's something going on in terms of. Uh, Vin Vin thinks that he just means that he's annoyed at being made to be a dog, but... You think that This really sounds... It? Yeah, it's, this sounds to me like most of the time, Kandra just... They, they, they acquire the, the personality and memories of their host and they just slip into that role. And, like, they still have some sort of underlying mind of their own. Some underlying self. Yeah, like, they, they can... They follow the contract. They, like... When he was pretending to be Reno, he wasn't actually Reno. He was... He was working with Kelsey, where Reno wouldn't have. But, but most he, of the he time, he still had the personality. Yeah, most of the time, he just was being Reno, and like occasionally, that sort of background process would be like, okay, but like, 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 like almost forcing like the the Reno mind to do things. You know what I mean? I mean, if you think about it logically, they would have to acquire the personality and the memories, because otherwise, in most cases, they wouldn't be able to get the mannerisms. Well. Maybe if, they could pull, tra pull off someone's mannerisms just by observing them for a while before. Yeah, but how, how often, how much of a chance would they necessarily get a lot of the time? It seems tricky. It might be possible if they can. I feel like they'd have to chain bodies, right? Like, if you if they impersonate a servant, and then they watch Reno as the servant, 
or something like that. I feel like that'd then, be too much of a thing of an ordeal to have to go through each time that you have to impersonate someone. I think I think it's just they just get the body and I, automatically. I'm, fire I am it. definitely leading towards that, yeah. And I think I think that's just more likely in general. Even without any other hints or clues towards that, I think that's just the most likely thing. Mm. Based off the fact that they're imposters by nature. You know? Yeah. It does bug me a bit that assuming that I'm right and that, that this is what Kelsey that what uh Forrester is getting at. Yeah. Uh he, he doesn't just say. come out and say, yeah. I, he's, he's, he, he, he goes on further in this vein. You do not understand. It is not what a Kandra is that's important. It's who a Kandra becomes. The bones he takes. The role he fulfills. None of my previous masters have asked me to do something like this. This is a response to Vin saying, uh, those bones don't really change anything. You're still the same person. He's not, though. So, yeah, it's... It really sounds like he's trying to say, yeah, I'm literally not the same person. But, at the same time... Why not just say that? Like, why not just say, no, we literally absorb the memories of, and, of the body, and it's annoying to me that I'm having to walk around with a bunch of dog instincts. Forster does seem and to be without quite a... human personality to fall back on. He does have a rather roundabout way of getting to things for someone who should really be quite direct. Yeah, and now maybe the justification for this is that he's not used to actively thinking with just, like, his own brain, you know? That's true. Like he's he's used to just be playing a role. He's not used to having to actually talk about himself. I mean, if he does acquire personality automatically because she picked an aggressive dog, surely he would be more aggressive, and that's why he's so snappy as a dog. That could be a factor as well. Yeah, he's got all this dog anger and instincts in him. Well, but he was already being passive aggressive. Well, he was although. He was being passive aggressive as a random executed criminal. So maybe if she just picked some nice, lovely person to murder next time, he would be a better sir. Um, we we learned that they can't use alamancy, which is a big one. We've been wondering about that since literally the moment we were introduced to these guys. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest reveal that he gives us here. I think it's the most the the longest lasting thing we've been thinking about anyway. Yeah. Whereas a lot of this is almost, it's stuff that we can talk about a lot and hypothesize on a lot, but um, not necessarily stuff we had thought of ourselves beforehand. This was the thing we've been waiting for. Mm. We, this is actually one of the two big questions about Kandra that we've had. Do they get the personalities mm. and memories? Yeah, so this is like half of our confusion about the results. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um... So Kandra cannot use Alamancy. Now, Vin, Vin has a weird reaction to this. She says, if I catch a member of the crew burning metals, then I know he's not the Kandra. Uh, why do you need to catch them? Just don't do that right now. Yeah. It, she also does point out, though, that, you know, there's still, like, most people that isn't useful for. That's true. But yeah. she should gather up specifically, she specifically the Alamancers. Yeah, well, she specifically... She shouldn't, she shouldn't even bring along someone like Doxin or true. Elend. She specifically calls out the yeah Doxin and the palace and the palace service, but Doxin we called out as well. I think we oh we've seen we've seen Vin use Alamancy at this point, so I guess that's it. Have, wait, have we have we seen Vin use Alamancy since they've discovered the bones? I, she I, used Alamancy in this chapter. Okay, well there we go. There's there's a point. Where oh yeah she, yeah she does because she, when she's going after the mist ghost thing. Yeah. yeah, in fact she she there's a later point in the chapter where she's falling and she burns both Peter and Tin. So 
Yeah. Vin is definitely not the bad guy, guys. Mm-hmm. Our, shockingly enough, our protagonists are probably not the bad guys. Um, and we learn one final thing about them, which is that he's not compelled to reveal secrets about the Kandra. Which might be why he talks in such a roundabout way when it comes to stuff like acquiring memories. I guess it could be, although you would think that, that would be... An, that could be an important Kandra secret, that if most people don't know that, then... But how would anyone employ a Kandra to do anything without knowing that? Besides Vin, who's an idiot. I mean, maybe. <laughs> like, how would Kelsier have gotten him to impersonate Rhino if he didn't know that well, he could he just be, impersonate people? You know, you have the contract, he signs it, and he doesn't need to know the ways. You know, may- maybe he's thinking the same things as us. Maybe he's wondering, has this guy gone and done some sort of incredible study I on guess. in this very short period of time? Or has he gone and just eaten him? In fairness, I would also kind of imagine that when Kelsier employed Kandra, he'd already killed Reno. Yeah, probably. So, I mean... Which which would make it impossible for them to have observed him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not arguing, I'm just saying it's a possibility that that's why he, he won't, so he doesn't necessarily Yeah, no, you're right, know. you're right. He, he, in fairness, it's, it's funny, he says, I've perhaps revealed, uh, uh, sorry, I've perhaps said too much already, which, like, yeah, you have, dude. <laughs> you just revealed a bunch of stuff about the Kandra. Uh... Seems like a really big tool for identifying Kandra. Yeah. Of course, she did command him on that one. Yeah, but he he, just, he specifically refuses. Um, no, oh, I know. Well, okay. So he actually he refuses to answer a specific question, which I had actually forgotten about this. So apparently, uh, when, we, when they were doing a job with Kelsier, he said that we had to keep you away from the Lord Ruler and his Inquisitors. Why was that? And we're sort flat out refuses to answer. So why is that? Yeah, I hadn't really attached any significance to that at the time. I guess I just thought they had super senses, you know, whatever. You can kind of sense them out. Yeah, I don't know. I At this point, we know that a Mistborn will just, like, instantly know a Kandra by me, right? Yeah, I mean, I had 100% forgotten about that, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. It, 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 didn't, it didn't seem significant at the time, so yeah, I, I didn't register it as odd. Yeah, me neither, or actually. at all. Like, I, I, I didn't remember this until it was, we were told it. <laughs> yeah, if anything, this is Brandon Sanderson just being annoying and making me have more questions after answering one of them. Mm. He's like, oh, I've answered a question for you finally. Let me add in another one so that you can be available probably for like a half a book. <laughs> so one thing from this chapter I thought was interesting was one of the final points of their conversation was... Vin was asking Orsor, you know, about his his passions or his his loves, and Orsor said he didn't want to talk about it, but it was something that he could talk about if she, you know, commanded him to. And Vin takes a moment and decides not to, mm. which is one of the only real empathetic things she's done towards him, like ever. But, you know, she shouldn't she shouldn't really have to command him to talk about himself. I'm, I'm actually not sure that this is what he preferred. Because earlier in this chapter, when she does command him to say something, she sees what she thinks is a flash of triumph in his eyes, and she's like, oh, he likes getting me to command him to fulfill his contract. Uh, you think you think he was just happy that she was doing what he's used to? Yeah, maybe. Like, we don't really understand Kandra's psychology that much. You know, assuming, assuming Vinny's was even correct about that, like... 
she saw a flash of crap in his eyes. He's a dog. <laughs> She's looking at a dog and going, Ah, yes, there was a flash of triumph in his eyes as this dog just sits there. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can see emotions and... Not necessarily thought, but you can see emotions in the dog's eyes. Yeah, well, I, a lot of, it's very easy to project out of that as well. I remember seeing, actually, a study on that where, like... It was some... They got the dogs to do something, like, naughty or whatever. Yeah. And then... Uh, they basically, like, asked their owners whether they had or something like that. Or they, I think they told the owners that they had done it, and sometimes they hadn't. And like, the owners couldn't tell, basically, was the, the upshot. They, they thought that they looked guilty regardless of whether they had actually done something. Wow. <laughs> so, <Okay>. like, <laughs> like, when a dog... Like, and, and okay, again, this is, you know, I'm, but an, a, a, an animal will often, like, react to you. So, like, a dog might see that you're angry and act... Sad. A, like a, yeah, like act the way it's learned makes you less angry even if <laughs> it doesn't actually have a clue why so what you're saying is dogs <laughs> are really manipulative at heart yeah well it's it's the you ever hear the, the phrase clever hands effect uh can't say that i have and uh, this is this is branching off a bit from canada now because uh we're talking about dogs yeah well the, the the thing with dogs manipulating people is uh there was this famous horse called clever hands uh who was famous because he could do math that's why he was clever I feel like this horse couldn't do math. The horse couldn't do math. What he could do is... He, so the way he would do math is he would tap out the answer to sums with his hoof. He would tap. I've, I've seen sums like this with a chicken, I think. Yeah, you, you might well have. Uh, although, I, I don't know if a chicken is even smart enough to do this. But what, what, what he was actually doing was looking at his owner and stopping when the owner was like, Yes, see, he got it. <laughs> <laughs> he would just tap and then stop. <laughs> you know, he would wait between each tap to see if the owner was like, haha, he got right again. This is an amazing horse. Hmm. So he was reading the owner's reaction to something he hadn't necessarily Yeah, he, it was proven. Sure about yeah, and, uh, they eventually someone figured it out and they, they tried it with the owner not there or just nobody there or something like that. And I think it was just without the owner, but it was specifically the owner that he figured out how to read. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, that's probably not what's going on here, but. Uh, what's going on here, if Finn is even wrong, which honestly she's probably not, yeah, is I would say it's more that she's just imagining things. Like it is, it is also very easy to like imagine things, you know. That's true. Like you project what you expect to see onto things, even if you're just looking at the same expressionless dog face. That not the dog face, I'm literally expressionless, but you know, <laughs> the same dog just sitting there staring blankly. You could easily just imagine a different expression onto them. Yeah, okay. I mean, I did think Vin was projecting. I just, I didn't know the science behind projecting emotions on dogs, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I, again, if I, if I was going to talk about science behind that, I'd probably talk about, like, that famous wine-tasting experiment, which I've probably talked about before. Probably. Where uh, they, they gave some some experienced wine tasters, uh, semi-experienced, these were actually like college students who were studying wine tasting. Yeah. Um, they gave them some red and white wine and asked them to describe them. And they added in... Uh, but, uh, they plot twist, they were the same wine, one with red food dye. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. <laughs> So, none of these wine tasters noticed, let alone described them as being, uh, described the, the red wine as actually being a white wine. 
they, they described it using the, the standard terms for red wines. <laughs> uh, or uh, you could talk about Coke and Pepsi as a similar thing where um, in Pepsi will you, you ever see like the Pepsi challenge thing I have yeah they I've never bothered taking it because I remain confident that I could totally do it yeah, I know that see, I would be destroyed if I actually took the yeah, test yeah see you couldn't do it because this is this is this is the, the problem with poor Pepsi's marketing they're they're marketing quite correctly that you can't people can't tell the difference in double blind tests if, if you if you if you can't tell and uh, double blind because you don't they don't want the people picking up on the experimenters reactions mm -hmm. which is why all experiments need to be double blind not just with animals that, that's a big problem with humans as well um, like you you'll sort of subconsciously notice <laughs> the reaction of the experimenter but the if people know what they're drinking then they'll prefer the one that's labeled as being coke just because of the marketing of coke like you think it tastes better really yeah i don't i don't think that well that's a common thing anyway they taste the same <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's literally the same. It's the same recipe. That's Have you ever done it? No, no. I don't think I could do it. Like I, I, I couldn't describe any difference between two. But I, there, there isn't a difference. They're the same drink, for sure. <laughs> I don't drink Pepsi that much. But I mean, when I do drink Pepsi, I don't go, hmm, this is much worse than Coke. Next time, I'll make sure to get a Coke. I yeah. just think. You know, okay, this tastes nice. Honestly, yeah, I'm the same. Even though I believe this and know this, I generally drink Coke over Pepsi. Like, not because I'm like deliberately going for it, just because they cost the same and they're both there. Why not just go for the Coke? You know? Yeah. Like I don't even really think about it. But I'm just realizing to myself, when was the last time I even had a Pepsi? Like, I feel like I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just go, oh yeah, I'll have a cola. Even when, even when it's not actually Coke brand, I always just think of it as a Coke. Yeah. So I no, say, I'll have a Coke, and then you know, I'll get Coke, because that's what I was thinking. Which is just the power of marketing. Coca-Cola have, I guess, the best marketing team in the world. Like, subconsciously, I'm going to reach for a Coke if, if I see it. Like, it can be right next to a Pepsi, but I'm going to go for the Coke because I'm more used to drinking Coke. Yeah, I feel like the Pepsi people are making a mistake with the Pepsi. I get that they saw them, they were like, holy cow, this proves that we're just as good as the brand that's beating us, but like... Be just as good? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just barely as good. <laughs> you should be saying you're better. Even I, like, look, I'm not a marketer, I'm just saying, clearly neither of the people who run Pepsi. <laughs> clearly, we should be running Pepsi. This, we the should only, be running this multi-billion dollar company. The only I can think of is that famously terrible ad where... The police are like beating the protesters, and then Kendall wait, Jenner shows she up. bravely she's... shows up carrying a Pepsi, and she gives it to the guy, and he drinks it, and he's like, oh, "Peace." <laughs> I don't know, but in fairness, it's the only one that I can hear that I've heard of. So, in that sense, it's the best Pepsi ad of all time. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so uh, whether or not Vin is projecting um, is an interesting question because I do, I do th feel like. He's told her many times that he wants her to take control and give him his orders. He doesn't like it when she expects him to figure out what to do. Yeah. In this very chapter, he says several times, like, say what you mean. Just, just say what you mean. <laughs> just tell me what to clearer. do, goddammit. <laughs> I feel like maybe Vin wants Orsor, she almost says outright, to be almost like Sazed, or at least a person, and he's not. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. This almost feels like, almost like an autism thing, or like, hmm. like he fakes it most of the time, by 
using these simulated minds or whatever that he gets from the bones, but the actual core of him does not actually understand humans that well and can't understand the subtext of what she's saying. I suppose. Uh, that's just that's just speculation, but um, uh, yeah, I do wonder if like he doesn't have the right instincts and practice to understand what people are saying without relying on uh, a sort of direction. Yeah, on these sort of copying of people that he that he can do. Yeah, he prefers the clarity though. Yeah. yeah. Like anyone would, but uh, not something that is particularly good at giving in this well, case. Well, you say that, but I mean, I think most people do like to have some freedom and trust in their relationships. Instructions is well, beneficial because then you know you're not messing up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is literally that she just hasn't said to him, hey, I would prefer that you not eat people. You wouldn't be able to think of any way around the eating people thing because you just eat people, so... Yeah, I mean, maybe. Not the best example, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I might be conflating the... His nature is to eat people with the he wants clear instructions thing. That's not really the same issue. Yeah. The issue there lies with Vin, but it's a separate issue in a way. Um... So, um, they, they go on one of Finn's famous nighttime walks, and, uh... In fact, I, I don't think they're on a walk. They're talking, and they're actually on a They're just on a rooftop. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, she, she, senses, yeah, she senses something. Um, the same... The same feeling she got when she sensed the ghosts. Yeah, so she says she had never been brave enough to investigate it. The location here is that she's actually sensed this ghost around more but Six hasn't cents. done anything about it because she was too afraid hmm. but regardless she decides to pursue it this time she does and seemingly the ghost walks and disappears but then something a little bit spooky happens do you remember do you remember yeah that much yeah i do uh so i'm actually looking this is not connected really to anything but this is just a random remark that Finn makes while she's thinking about the ghost and she looks at it. Yeah. She says, Skad didn't speak of things like spirits or the dead. To religion was for the nobility. To worship was death for the Skad. So, I think the implication here is that Skad weren't worshipping the Lord Ruler. Which, I don't know, I thought they that's, were. That's the opposite of what I thought as well, actually. Yeah. It, like, I, I thought kind of the whole point of the Lord Ruler religion was sort of to, to, you know, to be the opium of the masses. Yeah, I... That, that does go against what I thought. Uh, anyway, yeah, the, the, that, is, that, is, that doesn't really connect to anything in the chapter, just uh, surprise me. Like, we've, we've heard that Scala like, aren't very religious. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think we've been specifically told that they straight up were forbidden from worshipping the world rulers, which is what this seems to be saying, right? That it was like, that it was death. Like, that you could be executed for worshipping the world ruler and believing in world rulerism. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, as you say, she consents the ghost with her bronze, and she points out that Alamancy attracts the mist, which is maybe why the mists are kind of swirling around this thing. So maybe this is just a person who's invisible. 
or I, I, I remember you suggested a while back that like this was like an astral projection or something, and that does seem quite plausible. I did suggest that. I don't remember the thinking behind it, but I did suggest that. I, mean, I think your thinking was just it, it's like a ghostly figure, and it's got some something, something to do with Alamance because of the pulsing, which he says. I, I, I think there was like another thing as well that led me to believe this, but I don't remember it, so. Hmm. I, I think it's an, a fair enough prediction, though, or idea. Yeah. Anyway, so actually, you know, it probably can't be someone new because while Vin is looking at it, it disappears. She's, 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 she's chasing up to it. Yeah, it vanishes. And then appears next to her and grabs her arm it seems like something something grabs her arm it disappears and then something grabs her arm something cold and terrible yeah it like freezes her arm or something which reminded me very clearly of a different description from Harry Potter just something cold and terrible oh like the, the mentors yeah it was, it was it was like that it was like I don't it was weird just I don't usually hear something or read something like described as terrible but not like in the literal sense like you're horrible mm -hmm. just that description was very reminiscent of that for me anyway I'm sure it's not uncommon you know but um that gave me kind of just a better image in my head I guess yeah of this kind of deathly hand reaching out yeah I guess it, what it made me think of is I don't know I'm, I'm trying to think I definitely run across this idea of like a ghost as sort of dealing cold damage as it were yeah um oh maybe it's there's a, so there's a D&D &D spell Deathly Touch I think it's called or something like that which is uh it's, it's, it's like a, a minor spell that you can use but um it conjures up like the hand of a ghost and it like grabs someone and that freezes them a little bit yeah, except this <laughs> this uh, specifically does a little bit more than that. It causes some sort of pain in Vin's head, I think. Um, um that makes her Yeah, that's that's true, I forgot that. And yes. she goes on to fall out a window. Um her mind kind of a, a pain blur. a pain shot through her head, moving as if from her ear and into her mind. Yeah. This This was a very specific description of the pain. That yeah. made me wonder if there's a little more to what just happened. Also, the fact that the rest of this chapter is not from Vince POV when she gets up. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That you, are you thinking that she's been like possessed or something? Almost. I. I look. I. It's I not. It's not a strong. It's just the way it was described as, you know, going into her ear. It was very horror movie esque. Ooh, that did not occur to me. Could I, this be... No, no, okay. So, when you say that, gonna, I'm, I'm You're thinking... going to take my wild, not very serious idea <laughs> and go on about it no, to something no, else? No, no, it, It's just, hearing you say that made me think, wait, was this a Kandra? Did Vin just get eaten by a Kandra? But no, that, that can't be what happened. Because there's no way Vin would get eaten by a Kandra in Chapter 13. In Chapter 13, and just... No, because, I mean, there was no processing of the bones... She just falls out a window and is just her. Yeah, so the, the only way I could picture it would be like, you don't really know how Kandra works. I could maybe see that like, unless like it eats, it, like it, it like sort of eats and, and replaces her flesh in like one movement. Unless, because we're seeing it from Vince POV, 
okay this is super this is kind of weird but because we're seeing it from Lynn's POV there is actually a time skip that she doesn't realize so she gets eaten her bones are left in that room because that's how Kendra work and then she like as 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 the Kendra bin is adjusting to the body she falls out the window well the bones wouldn't be left behind except in the it, it's not a Kendra because she then burns Alamancy but Oh, you're right, she does. If she burns Alamancy to stop herself falling. Well, so if it were I, to be a counter, that's I was, how I would have What I was thinking was that it. she's being eaten as she falls. But no, I... I and it, then, like... Probably even still being eaten as she meets up with Orisor and leaves, which I'm not sure how much sense that makes, but I'm kind of picturing this as almost like... Um, so, there's a specific fictional shapeshifter that I want to reference but it's not something you haven't seen so to you this is like it's more of a transition yeah I'm picturing it almost, almost like a virus like like it infiltrates her like her very cells and like replaces them one by one mm. as it takes her over I was thinking almost almost like possession but just a bit more physical I was thinking of it like possession as in like in the back of her mind the, the creature is there now what she's been, you know, she's doing the kind of staggering Yeah, I, well, okay, so well, if, if this was literally a candor, I think then Vin is dead, right? Like, we, we, it was yeah. seen pretty conclusively. This is... Someone I, eaten by a candor is dead. I think we can say this is not a candor, <laughs> but the ghost thing might have just gone inside of Vin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so the, those are two different hypotheses. It's just something that occurred to me when you said that, oh, Vin, maybe Vin is being possessed. Like, we still don't really know that much about candor, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's almost impossible this is... Kendra. It would be it would be a crazy thing to do. It, it, I don't I don't think it's very likely. I agree. But I do think it's possible that Ben just got possessed. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. It, that is totally possible. She the thing goes inside her. She has a sharp pain in her head. She falls out the window. She's still burning Alamancy, which suggests that she's not a Kendra, obviously. And also, the way this is described is different to how we think of a Kendra so far, anyway. Mm. Um, she is then muddled a little confused but she thinks she's fine which is very much how you you would think of someone being possessed you know the thing is in them but it's not doing anything so it feels like they've just had some sort of sharp headache or something mm. and now she's staggering around unknowingly carrying around some sort of mist creature inside of her i can totally buy that that that's that's a good catch assuming it's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we just spent five minutes going on wild, random rants about absolutely nothing that was just a vivid way to describe someone getting like a sharp headache and being touched by a cold hand. Actually, I just remembered that spell I referenced. It's called Chill Touch. It doesn't actually deal cold damage. It deals, I think, necrotic damage. If I remember right. Mm -hmm. uh, which is like just like death energy or whatever. Uh, so even though it's called Chill, that, that's why I was thinking like it's called Chill Touch, but it's not actually cold exactly uh it's like just supposed to be like you know like the, the deathly touch of a ghost <laughs> yeah i've often wanted to play like a necromancer in D, D, which is ridiculously hard to do properly mm. like the way D, D is set up you, you you can't even get the spells to do even the most minor of undead things until quite late and it lumps like actual necromancy like raising dead monsters in with just a lot of like attack spells 
Mm. So that that's the, that that as a cantrip is the closest thing you can get at level one to summoning an undead. It's not really; it's just an attack spell, but it's described as summoning a ghostly hand. So uh, <laughs> that's I, I grabbed that in a, a D and D character I played way back in the day when I was trying to play a, an necromancer. Yeah. So for me, anyway, this half chapter was a lot more interesting than the second half, which was very just kind of talking about politics. I have a lot to say about that part of the chapter. Same, same. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, we're going to go through it anyway. Um, just, I, I'm just saying it now. But mo- most of my notes are from like the last couple of pages of this chapter. Yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, the remainder of the chapter is the crew having a meeting about what to do. Um, yeah. Important to say it's from Elen's perspective. Yes. Because he thinks at the beginning about the whole kind of situation. That's a good point. And yes. about imposters, he which is... He specifically thinks about the fact that any any of these men could be an imposter. So I think that quite definitively rules Elend out. Yeah, I guess. I mean... Look, we could hypothesize about how Candras think, but I, I think I think it's just fair to say... Yeah, like, you you could see, like, a method acting Candra thinking that as, like, that's what he would be thinking in that situation. But I, I think... I think we yeah, can leave yeah. that. Uh, it doesn't seem like Candors are really that perfect in a mimic anyway. It's yeah. just, given that Urasaur outright says that you can detect a Candor by looking for inconsistencies and mistakes. Yeah. And th- this is what Elend is trying to do. Even wh- While he's talking to the crew, he's trying to... The whole way through, he's kind of mentioning what each member of the crew is doing. You know, this person has stayed silent like usual. This person's doing mm-hmm. that like usual. You know, all these little things. That make me think he's he's definitely not Kandra. Yeah, anyway, I, yeah, I guess I. There's the slimmest of possibilities that it's a land, but I think he's most definitely the least likely. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'm just. I'm just like I didn't notice like any anything that stood out as like out of character for any of them particularly. But then I wasn't really looking for it that hard. I wasn't either, but I also think that Elend wouldn't be the best for doing this anyway because he doesn't know any of them as well. Yeah, he does say that himself. Yeah, he's known them all for like half as long and he's been. just not like uh he's he's just not the best you know, he's not the most socially adept or observant. Yeah, he's he's not a people person, he's not particularly perceptive when it comes to people or their mannerisms. So he he tries his best, but I d I don't think he was gonna pick up on anything even if it was there. In fact, uh one of the few things that I did pull out during this conversation, uh I pulled out he talks about he complains that they're still using Boxings, yeah, and he refers to them as Lord Ruler Imperials, which I don't know what that means. Like, is that the, is that like a different name for boxings, or I I don't know. Uh, just 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 to me, like, maybe, all right, I guess boxings are like one denomination. Lord Ruler Imperials are the all the coins, maybe. Just like the general name for the currency. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um. They mentioned that they don't have a charcoal board, which is what they used to use to uh, make their plants. Is that a thing? Like, it's, like, it's, it's clearly like the opposite of a chalkboard, but... I guess... I, <laughs> is that a thing? that you Like a, like a white board that you use charcoal on instead of the reverse? I've never heard of that before. Maybe. I actually took that to just mean a blackboard. It's a board made of charcoal or something that they use chalk on. That's how I was picturing it, but now that you say it, maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Googling is just bringing up, like, boards with a charcoal colored veneer. Like, for sale. Um, I, I, so yeah, it doesn't seem to be like an existing phrase. Or if it is, it's just being swamped by all the commercial means of it. All that comes up is Yeah, that's just two phrases in close succession that I'm not familiar with, and uh, <laughs> that's demented. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the charcoal board more demented is like, they don't even have charcoal. Now, Elend has a pretty good argument here, which is he's been looking up how much food the Lulu's armies took. Yes. And it's a lot. Sure is a lot to feed an army. Which means that the armies count outside also require supply lines, and if, if they can disrupt those, can't sustain the siege that long either. They can all starve together, I guess. I mean, this might seem like a basic point, but I think it, I'm actually pretty impressed. I mean, as they point out, like this is a world where there are no manuals on tactics for really any armies. All been divided a little bit now. Yeah. So this is this is a pretty good tactical point. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, specifically, we learned that Set's supply line is coming from the city of Haberfrex, which held one of the Lord Ruler's main canneries. I don't know how old canning is. I, I associate it with tin cans. Maybe there's some sort of early... Like a wooden can? Well... That seems kind of weird. I don't know if you would call that a cannery, though, right? Like if they were making like jam jars or you know pickles and jars or whatever, like that's not canning them, that's jarring them, right? I guess. I don't know. It it this this makes me think that they have tin cans in this world. I don't know if that's literally true. Because I feel like surely that would have come up at some point. Would it? Okay, so I'm looking at it and it says the process of canning was invented after prolonged research by Nicholas Appert of France in eighteen oh nine. Okay. And that's that's referring to uh well, actually having having said that, I suppose we call them tin cans, but uh they're frequently made of steel. As uh which we Wikipedia calls them steel and tin cans. That's the title of Wikipedia thing I'm just looking at now. Um so uh and of course, obviously frequently we use aluminum cans these days. Um yeah, so, I mean, again, this is not uh, as, <laughs> um, I think, was pointed out by Retrorock in the last episode's comments. Uh, I think Juralumen is actually the most recent thing that we've heard of yet. Yeah. Because that's from, like, the 1900s, I think. Still, so, still a little note of, like, anachronism compared to your standard medieval setting. Like, it's mostly... And medieval setting, and then we get these little things where it's like, oh, they have clocks, which would be late medieval. They have a tin currently They have uh, those lights, lights, which yeah. I know I've been obsessing over. <laughs> those just those just really stood out to me. It's like, huh? Um, yeah, Duralumin would be like a hundred years later than the process of canning. So it's actually significantly later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's. It would bring us almost to modern times. 
pretty close, yeah. It was, uh, so it was in 1903, sort of, but it, proper Jerusalem is 1909, so yeah, that's almost exactly 100 years later. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, I know Sans Ed, Sans Ed talks about, like, confrontation and stuff, that's, again, I think that's, like, late medieval. Um, yeah. I can't remember, uh, he talks about, I, I'm just thinking, like, because Sans Ed knows more science stuff than anyone else. It's true. Um, he talks about in terms that Galileo discovered. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't. I don't think he's ever shown anything more modern than that. I'm trying to think. I know Galileo might be the earliest thing we've heard of. Almost. <laughs> I mean, medieval aesthetic and a couple of medieval, you know, processes and things. I feel like. Renaissance time is probably earlier than all the other things, which come in like the 18-1900s. So, basically, this covers just a long, long yeah, period. Yeah, so so we've narrowed this down to they could be anywhere in re in yeah, relative your, terms. Your standard medieval setting actually is like really more what we call early modern, usually like if it's usually a little bit past medieval that point, getting into Renaissance era stuff. Yeah. Um, even like rudimentary firearms, with like a, a, and like really good armor. So I think that's actually like really stand out anachronistic here is probably the Jura Lumen, which is something also that doesn't really require that much tech to discover. So, <laughs> you know, in, in that sense, this is still pretty much a medieval fantasy. Yeah. That broader definition of it. It's not actually set in any one time period, which we which we know by word of Brandon. It could have it could have progressed anywhere from like four hundred years to well over a thousand years in technology. So basically, we've learned absolutely nothing through all this. Yeah, I, so like this fine this fine coming. It's funny. So the reason why we know that it's specifically not supposed to be a medieval fantasy is the author's note for like the first chapter of the first book. Yeah. Where he mentions that the clock in that chapter that I had a, a notable anachronism that could show you, oh, this isn't your standard fantasy world. Hmm. But that didn't stand out to me at all because I just expect clocks to exist in fantasy. Like clockwork is, even though it is kind of late medieval-ish, that's not that un 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 anachronistic for your standard fantasy. I feel like I, w I wouldn't be weirded out by seeing like a dwarf with a pocket watch, you know, or a gnome. It's just a, it's the sort of thing that they have in fantasy settings. Yeah. Um, but it was intended to be anachronistic, so. I'm guessing that the intent is that the world ruler started out in a very medieval world with no technology at all beyond just like, you know, iron weapons and things. And then they have progressed in some ways. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably intended to be a bit of a subversion of like the classic fantasy, this empire is 10,000 years old, and these ruins are... 50,000 years old from the ancient elves, you know, like, everything in fantasy stereotypically lasts a long time and nothing changes. Like, in, in Tolkien, you'll have, like, oh, and the Third Age lasted 5,000 years, and by the end, it was exactly the same, except that there were slightly less elves. <laughs> Population growth was a little bit different. <laughs> exactly, like, in, in Lord of the Rings, I, I, I don't know exactly how long, like, the history of Lord of the Rings runs, from like the start to the end, but they, long, long they have they have like swords and boats basically at the start, 
and they still the have end, them at the end, but they haven't progressed in any way. Still what they're using, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, in some ways, you could argue like, oh, but the elves were like actually way better at making swords than humans, so whatever. Their technology has been lost, maybe. No, whatever. <laughs> the point is just that that's a common objection that I see to fantasy. You can justify it, but uh, I think this is probably something that he's deliberately trying to mess with. So, uh, the, the, can, the tin cans, for some reason, even though they're not actually more anachronistic than the other things, they really stand out to me as, like, a very modern thing. Right? Yeah. Like, I feel like they're actually the only thing that we've seen so far that... If I saw it in a fancy story, I would actually go, oh, this isn't medieval. This is a modern thing that exists in this world. Like, the limelights, uh, in retrospect, I think they kind of stood out to me in part because I just didn't know how they worked. I thought they were electric. I don't know how, I didn't know how limelights worked, but I, apparently you can get them without electricity, so. Uh, I'm, I'll have a tin can without electricity, right? It's just that, historically, we didn't. Like, in principle, I don't see any reason why you couldn't make a, a can out of tin, I guess. Hmm. But, the idea that these, this barbarian horde outside the gates is just eating all their food out of tins just feels really weird to me, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I didn't make a specific note of what plan they actually settled on, did you? I feel like we um, should probably at, at least acknowledge it. They basically settled on... try to manipulate the other armies into fighting each other so that they can be forgotten about. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and start basically, yeah, get, get them... disrupt their supply lines and get put them in each other's throats and try and weaken them until... Uh, I guess until they can figure out something, some way of dealing with them, or at least they, they talk about improving their bargaining position at the very least. Seems like they don't really have a concrete plan for how this is going to shake out. They have, they have an idea of a plan. They have a short-term plan, which will... Short-term plan. It's also a bit of a stupid plan that could... You think? I think so. I mean, they, they kind of acknowledge that it's kind of they, they, a bad idea. Yeah, they, they talk a lot about it being a, a big gamble. Um, I, I honestly think it's a pretty good plan. I... Well, we didn't mention this, but apparently Set is really terrible to the sky under his rule, so... And I assume the same is the same with Adventure, so... Either either one, if they surrender, they're basically dooming all their subjects. Pretty much. So, they kind of have to win. Yeah, I mean, I... Like, by that... It sounds like if they, if they get sacked, it's probably not going to be that much worse, right? Like, probably will be worse, I guess, now that I say that out loud, but... You know, the worst... It, it, there's a certain amount of like it, it, the gamble I think sounds like it's worthwhile even if it won't necessarily succeed and as plans go it seems reasonably solid to me like as I said I, I was impressed by the fact that they figured out that supply lines matter uh, yeah the, the, the vague intent to try and get them to attack each other is a little less developed but they have they have the concept of their plan. Yeah. They just need to figure out the plan part of their plan. I still think they should consider just sending Vin in to just kill everyone. Like not everyone, but like the the leadership. I feel like that would be very effective. I, I guess maybe Alan doesn't want to think about that because one of the leaders is his dad. 
But I, I think they should be seriously considering some kind of like decapitation strike where Vin just flies in from above. Just obliterates spring. the leaders. Like, Vin could literally like leap in from a distance that nobody else can, blast metal out at higher speeds than anyone else can, and fly away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst it's, option they it's have. It's somewhat risky, but it's... I mean, it's very risky, but... Uh, it's just an option that they have that they haven't even... It seems like considered... I, I don't know if they really even know that much about Vin's Lumen experiments, but she saved briefs with them, so... They must understand to some degree that she's got something going on there. I mean, she she she's talked with Elend a bit about it. Uh, anyway, so uh, the meeting is um, interrupted, basically. They've already basically concluded. Uh, I think Elend says, oh, we'll move on to other matters. We never hear what possible other matters there are. Because... A spy is caught. Yes, there's someone listening at the door. And the someone is that terrace woman from before. We have no idea would come back. <laughs> Pretty sure they'd just fade into the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently she's a keeper and she says she's here to talk with the king. Um, she knows Vin is outside the window, which we're not actually told how she knows that. I mean, I, I, I kind of put that down to keeper senses, but... Do we actually know if keepers can enhance their hearing? I've kind of been assuming... I think they can. They I should be able to, you think, but... I don't know. I'm not sure if that's actually been established. Because, um, like, we've, we've now seen keeper sight, and it wouldn't actually necessarily help her hear. Like, she could, like, enhance her eyesight, like, very slowly move her eyes up along the entire room, but... I would, it's not I would, like a generalized thing. It's, it lets you focus on a specific target. Yeah, I would imagine that obviously keeper hearing is a thing, and that that's how she was listening through a wall. Yeah. Oh, that's true. The fact that she was listening uh, from from a faraway place also indicates she had super hearing. <laughs> I kind of forgot that. Yeah, that's true. She wasn't listening at the door. She was listening through the wall, which we're told shouldn't have been possible. So. Uh, also, yeah, that, she, yeah, I, didn't yeah I was gonna say. Also, he <laughs> suggests that he can, she can hear Vin and must have keen hearing. But Elend doesn't seem to have the same grasp of how Bruce uh, works. I don't think. That's because he seems kind of surprised at the idea that she would be able to hear Vin, whereas I would have taken it for granted. Well, if if the keep if if there was a Prutumus spy outside. It, Again, I guess this maybe comes down to the, the existing hand waves for why we never get anything explained to us. Uh, but I, I guess Sazed probably hasn't actually sat down and just given them a list of all his powers, because that would be information about the Keepers that he doesn't want leaked, even though the rumor was gone. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, otherwise I would expect the, the characters to just know what Keepers can do. But I, I guess, actually, Sazed maybe just hasn't told them. Because he's Sazed. Very secretive, <laughs> secretive person. Yeah, and which, again, we there is an existing reason for that established. I just... <laughs> uh, like, I'm not sure if it really stands up, especially considering the Lord of the Lord is God now and all that, but, you know, whatever. Um, Old habits. Yeah, well, it, 
part of why I'm calling this a hand wave is that we've now also got Urasaur, a second magical system, which we have a representative of on the team, but who's not telling us the details. Because his powers are also a secret. At which point it's starting to feel like just this is something Brandon Sanderson... Brandon Sanderson doesn't want to just have an exposition dump where the character says, okay, here are my powers. He wants it to, be, to stretch it out over the course of the story. Have very, all, these, all these little reveals. <laughs> very slowly. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a classic like issue in fantasy, I think. And, you know, speculative fiction, sci-fi, whatever. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that, the issue of how to deliver exposition. Um, there's a series I'm a big fan of called Worth a Candle, which I, I, I read like an interview with the author where he talked about this. And the, the approach that that took, Worth the Candle has like a bunch of different magic systems in it. Way too many to really ever be done. Like you would, you would literally have to sit down and like read like almost like a like a mini encyclopedia or something to just know all of them. Like it's a long list. So uh, some of the some of the common ones get explained, but generally what happens in that story is there's like there's like a bit near the beginning where the, the main character sits down with someone and learns the answers to all these questions, but we don't. But then, he knows them, so it always comes up in narration before it actually becomes significant. Mm. It's a it's a tricky balance to strike. I think Worth the Candle does it pretty well, but yeah, like if if the characters if the, he he said in that interview like he considered having the characters not explain it and explain it over the course of the story, which is what Brandon Sanders is doing here. But obviously, like. Realistically, you would sit down and ask, right? <laughs> like Vin, Vin definitely should have done this with Kelsier. Yeah. Uh, this that 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 I, I think actually is inexcusable. Like Vin should have sat down with Kelsier and said, "Okay, tell me all the medals and what they do." And she didn't. And we ended up learning them over the course of an entire book, which I get is in some ways like better for the flow of the narrative. If you're not reading it at such a slow pace as us, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, realistically, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, would 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 I would I have been any happier if he had contrived some reason for Kessler not to tell her anything instead of her just not bothering to ask? Probably not, <laughs> because admittedly, part of why I'm complaining about this is just that we've been reading these in this slow way. Uh, probably, <laughs> maybe messes up some of the pacing a little bit for us. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, Worth the Candle originated as a web serial. There's, there's, a couple, there's a few books of the, the first parts out, but... Uh, yeah, it's possible that the pacing of that was... Had, it had to contend with the readers initially being only reading, you know, a few chapters at a time. Yeah. As it came out, uh, which is, is, is a different scenario to the average person reading these books. Yeah, where they're only going to be reading <laughs> it for, I don't know, a week, two weeks. Yeah, uh, whereas obviously we've put ourselves in that exact position. Um, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think, like, is, the, have I ever been annoyed by this in a fantasy book? I don't think I generally have been, so. I can't say that I've read a huge amount of fantasy novels, to be honest. Yeah, and a lot of fantasy stories do either have a, a magic that's simple enough that they can just sit down and explain it in one go. Yeah. Or 
complex enough that it makes sense that the characters would take a while to learn it, like uh, Harry Potter, you know, like, in Harry Potter they'll learn individual spells, but... Also, the great excuse there is that they're in school, so. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, the story is them learning the magic system. That's, that's the plot of the story. Yeah. Uh, and, like, okay, yeah, it, that, that, even that is a bit of a stretch for Harry Potter, honestly. Like, realistically, at some point, Harry should probably have learned some of the history and like some of the most common spells <laughs> <laughs> might have been helpful um but yeah, yeah they, they they have like oh yeah hermione is the one who has read anything ever so she gets to answer the questions on that <laughs> it's not an unrealistic portrayal of school though is it no i suppose not um you have the people who don't really know what's going on but they're kind of coasting through school <laughs> kind of yeah. vaguely getting getting to their exams and stuff with a bit of a crunch and there's that one friend who's actually doing the work and knows what's going on all the time so in a school setting it works I mean from a standpoint where they're learning stuff that is actually quite practical to their lives as adults uh, it would make more sense for them to be paying attention yeah and there is also the cool factor like magic is just cooler than most things that you would learn. Yeah, I mean, you'd think especially, like, Harry should be keenly yeah. interested. In fact, in the first book, I think he does, he reads, like, all his textbooks. He's, like, reading them. And then he just stops. Yeah, well, in fairness, I think part of it is, and this is this is a common thing in fantasy where they go, like, we're told that magic is super complicated, we just don't know the details. Or, like, yeah. each spell is supposed to, t you know, like, this isn't just a Harry Potter thing. Like, you know, most fantasy... Like D and D style fantasy, will have like, oh yes, the wizards have to study for years to master a single spell, which, you know, the exact details don't necessarily matter. Just to know, okay, yeah, that that is that is a fair reason why people wouldn't. But, um, you know, like you know, in, in real life, obviously, you know, like, you could do all sorts of cool things with you know engineering and chemistry and things, but most people aren't going to spend the years necessary to do those things. True. Beyond the most basic party tricks in like high school, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I, I get that, but most people, I don't know, like, people know, even if they don't know the details of chemistry, they know that chemistry exists, right? Like, imagine if you went to school and one year you were taught, hey, chemistry exists, here's, here's some chemistry facts, and the next year you were told, oh, by the way, also, computers exist, and here's how you use a computer. And the year after that, you were told, like, oh, yeah, also, uh, physics exists. And here's some physics facts and how to use physics and things. Like, <laughs> <laughs> will be a little strange. Yeah, like, um, even, if you, even if it was, like, one a month, like, it, <laughs> it's just, it's not how people learn things. You learn the basic overview first, and then you learn the specifics. Yeah. That's true. Like, we wouldn't, if, if it had asked, like, for, like, one-sentence explanations of what they did, you know, he was like, okay, this one pushes metal, this one pulls metal, this one, in, in, you know, soothes emotions, this one riots emotions. Like, even if they didn't know what riots emotions means, that would have been, you know, like, okay, that would have been a reasonable, like, initial explanation, right? The logical thing for her to have done. Yeah, and then later on she learns, okay, it doesn't just let you push metals, it also lets you sense them. And that's, you know, that's the lesson that Kelsey delivers later. Uh, I don't think it was really necessary to have every single aspect of the magic system be left in in the lessons, you know? 
we could have given... I mean, we did get some very, very basic overview of, like, there are eight met metals, base metals, and ten normal metals, I guess. But, like, he could have just told us what they were right then. Uh, but, I, I, anyway, this is <laughs> uh, getting very abstract. Um, the chapter is over. So, favorites and least favorites. So, uh, what would you say was your least favorite part of the chapter? Um, it's tough. I'm inclined to go with Borisaur's dancing around of things. I, I feel bad picking this because I'm not even 100% sure it's real. But my experience of the chapter, I found that the most annoying part. This was a pretty good chapter overall. I, I really like this chapter. First half of this chapter I thought at least was particularly interesting. I did, I did think the second half drags a bit for me. The, the, you mean a bit with the... All the politics and... Yeah, the meeting... Meeting was maybe, yeah, a bit, a bit slow. Uh, but even there, I, I, I kind of liked some of their plans and stuff. It wasn't that I disliked it, it was just that that was, that was the least favorite part for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so what was your favorite part? Um... I think my favorite part was when Vin... Uh... You know, went in to the room with the ghosts. Mm. I thought it was interesting because it was like she thought she was going to be doing something she thought she was confronting it or something and then it just disappeared and something mysterious happened well, it kicked her ass is what happened <laughs> uh, <laughs> she did confront it, she just didn't get anything out of it except for confirmation that it didn't hurt her I mean either it just attacked her or if something more happened we don't know yet because <laughs> it left us on a bit of oh, well, yes, yes, in was. a sense it could have been a cliffhanger it didn't wasn't set up as a very straightforward cliffhanger, but if something more than the obvious happens, yeah, well, yeah. If if it has been possessed or something, then that's yeah, uh, you know, or altered in some way, um, which I think we're taking a broad definition of possession here. I mean, it's unlikely, but I do find it fun when you find something that could be something, but it could also just as easily not be anything at all yeah yeah that is that is interesting um it gives it gives more room for like wider speculation that just might not necessarily go anywhere <laughs> but it's a lot of fun to do anyway yeah i mean i i think there's a pretty good chance that it was just like basically she got like effectively tased or whatever yeah no i mean like the, the, mist, the misty energies of this i don't projection. i don't particularly expect to find you know somewhere in chapter 30 Vin turns into some sort of maniac and kills people or something because she's secretly possessed by a ghost. But I like, I like the opportunity to. I mean, she could. I like the opportunity to go a bit mad when you find something <laughs> that could really mean anything or nothing whatsoever. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, I'm still riding the high of having, I think, pretty clearly gotten the spikes right. So. <laughs> And that, I think that was, that was a pretty deep cut. So, uh, I mean, compared to, I think this is a pretty solid, this is pretty solid. Like, you've actually got, I, I, I kind of missed that in the description. Like, there's actually a pretty good reason to think that something happened here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope so. It's, I think it's clearly some kind of clue. I don't know if it necessarily means she's been possessed, but it might be a clue as to, like, why this is hurting her. I, I can't think what, but... I mean, I think we, 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 we sometimes do a bit of wild speculation I mean from the last book early on enough 
just from the fact that I knew this book had a lot of foreshadowing, I decided that the villain of the book wasn't the villain of the series. <laughs> and it, it to ex to some extent, it seems to have been right. Yeah, well, he's dead, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we haven't gotten... Well, I suppose the deepest might... Like, to be I mean, you have to you have to finish the series before you know that you are 100% right Big on that bad, one. But, yeah. Uh, well, unless he comes back from the dead, I think we can safely say he was not the series villain. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I, I, I do sometimes go a little bit over the top with my ideas, but I think there's no real harm in that. I think it's fun, so... What was what was your favorite part of the chapter? Uh, it's tough to pick. I'm... It's funny. I'm tempted to go for almost the same thing as my least favorite, which is Vin just straight up saying, okay, tell me all about the camera. Because, I mean, he dodges out of it, but he does at least give us a lot of info, and it's something she should have done long ago. So, uh, that's, I'm going to call that my favorite. I, 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 like, I like these exposition dumps, you know? I'm, it, it's also a chance for some character building between Vin and Orisor as well, which is just nice. Uh, particularly for Orisor, you know, exploring his mindset a little bit. It would have been nice to get a little, even more of that, but it was still probably my favorite part. Um, so, then there's when we go into the mailbox. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, that point you were saying about, you know, the, when we were talking about the Lord Ruler coming back from the dead, um, Archer Rocket 24 brought up some points about that, because if you, if you recall last episode, uh, I, you probably don't even remember me saying this. I just casually mentioned that I think if the Lord, we know the Lord Ruler has had his head cut off. Yeah. And I casually mentioned that I think in that situation what he probably did was... Well, I do remember that. Uh, he used uh, steel pushing to push his body back onto... Or his head back onto his body. And then, you know, just heal his neck. Uh, so, they discussed a few alternate possibilities. <laughs> so, first of all, they say, uh, why levitate it back in place? Just reach down and pick up your head. So my reason for thinking he couldn't do that is, if your neck is severed, the nerves from your brain won't be able to go to your body, right? Right. So how, he wouldn't be able to control his body if he was decapitated, right? Oh, that's an interesting thought. That's why I assumed he would have to levitate it. Yeah, because I, I, I'm assuming here that like, so that they also talk about the possibility that, like, maybe he would just heal so fast his head would regrow. And but then, that's... And that raises questions about, like, what happens to his memory Your theory would have to presume that, you know, he could burn... burn the metals without using... Without about having them in his stomach. That is true. Um, that is a potential objection there. I feel like, theoretically... Um, in the sense that, as a head, he's no longer connected to his stomach, so... Yeah. Um, I have talked... But then... I think from the Inquisitors, it, it seems like it's probably possible to burn metals from piercings in some way. Maybe. Maybe they have to be, like, internal piercings to some degree. But you could have, like, a tongue piercing or something. I think he could probably burn metal from that. Maybe. I, I, didn't, I didn't think of that when you said it, because, you know, it wasn't yeah, something me either, we, me either. we uh, went on. That, that is a good point. Well, there's a pretty likely... It's, unless, unless, like, we get been discovering that she's like the same as the Lord Ruler or whatever. Yeah. And we s eventually see her do this. We probably won't get an answer. But, no, you know, actually, having said that, it seems unlikely that they would introduce the Lord Ruler and never show anyone like him again, right? Yeah. Like, even if 
even if hypothetically within this series he's the only like within this era he's the only one with that power it seems unlikely that with all the books Brandon Sanderson has written in this world never have these bloodlines crossed again so unless unless like in the third book all the terrorist men are wiped out or something <laughs> I, I feel like it's got to happen sometime so there's actually a pretty good chance we'll see someone do this at some point and there is an answer uh, so I, I actually, I'm, 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 I can't help but wonder if maybe Retro Rocket 24 is deliberately misleading us here, or by just throwing out a bunch of different possibilities. Because they, they, they mentioned that they try not to spoil things by, by, by doing that a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. My instinct is that this world feels a little too materialistic and like sciencey for regrowing ahead to be possible, you know? Like, I just, I feel like, like, if you regrow ahead, it wouldn't be the same brain, right? Like, just, if it's just based on accelerating regular healing, well, actually, if it's just based on accelerating regular healing, honestly, you shouldn't be able to regrow limbs at all, probably, so, maybe, maybe that's not a fair objection. I mean, yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure. But I don't know, like, my, my instinct is that he's probably trying to keep things as, like, real as possible with the addition of magic, you know? Yeah. Like, that's kind of the spirit of the whole hard magic thing. That things work according to normal rules, except for these clear exceptions. Um, so, yeah, my instinct is that an Alamancer with their head cut off doesn't have any way of retaining the ability to control their body. Yeah. Um, and their memories are still stored in their brain, even if they can, like, magically transfer them into copper and back. They still... Uh, it does raise an interesting point, though. So they, they they say maybe he was storing his memories in copper somehow to, like, back himself up. And then he could regrow his head and pull them back out of the copper. Yeah. Um, I wonder how copper mines interact with Farukami, or uh, with Alamancy Rook. It's like... So a big part of the Lord Ruler's thing was that he was storing, like, his age in some, in some metal, and then burning that metal and getting more youth back than he put in. Yeah. Because he was, like, burning the metal itself. Um, this gets into the other point of Jurassic 24 that I wanted to talk about. But uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, so, if you do that with memories, do you get back more memory than you put in? How does that work? Like, do you get, maybe you get the memory more, like, intensely, like, you can remember it better? He, he said, like, you can remember it as if yeah, like you for, had just thought normal, it or for, Yeah, for it a or normal Alamancer, or for a normal Ferukamist, it's like, yeah, it's like, it, it goes in and you get it back exactly as you put it in. Yeah. But maybe, for the Lord Ruler, he puts it in and then he get, burns that metal and gets it back, like, ten times stronger. And then he can maybe put in, like, just, like, a bit of it back in, and he still retains the rest somehow. I'm not t totally sure if they can, like, put in half a memory so it's like faded but still somewhat there but if like maybe <laughs> I don't know it just seems like a thing that might might be possible um certainly an interesting idea I don't know <laughs> I don't know about it though now, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think like how how would it interact I don't know uh, maybe it doesn't maybe it has maybe there is no benefit to him doing that but uh if he can do that yeah that actually might that actually might be I don't know would that... 
you'd still have to know to burn it, right? Like, if his head got destroyed and then regrown, and he was just like a blank slate, you wouldn't know to do that to get his memories back, right? It's a funny idea. So, <laughs> I, I don't I don't see how that could work. And only, this, the, only the Farouchimist who stored a memory can pull it back. We've been told that. So this wouldn't let his mind into anyone else, even if he stored, like, all of his memories. Hmm. Um, well, I don't know. It, it still seems like it... Maybe it would be useful for something. <laughs> it might at the very least help him remember, like, his extremely long life, you know? Yeah. Like, if his memories from a thousand years ago have started to fade, or you know, from a, even a hundred years ago have started to fade, he can, like, strengthen them again by doing that. So he was able to keep it fresh forever. I don't know. Um, and so their other point was, apparently Brandon Sanderson has said, and I think this is why I found this a little odd, um, the way that both storing weight and pulling that weight back are both useful feels a little weird. Yeah. Me. I said, like, that just, that just seemed a little odd. Like, it seems weird that you can pay to get heavier by getting lighter, which is also useful. Uh, and in, in more formal terms, he point, apparently Brian has to point out that, it, you know, it violates conservation of energy, which uh, is something that actually none of the other metals do, because for alamancers, they're pulling from the metal, right? So some of the metal is destroyed to give them that energy. Yeah. And for Veruchimists, normally, they're giving up something to store it in the metal. So even though some of them are more abstract, like, when they store their strength, they're weaker for that period. So it's like... Presumably, the energy from to make them bigger is going in when they're doing that. So, how does weight? So, but with weight, in both both ways, like you could ju you can jump up, making yourself lighter, so you jump higher, and then pull that weight back out to become heavier and fall down much faster. Both ways, you're getting more out of it, right? If yeah, you fall down the full distance that you jumped lighter while heavier, just because it benefits you, does that mean that it? No, but it is, it's generating energy. You're, you're that, you, you then like you, imagine you do that onto a person, right? You hit them much harder, without any net loss of anything. <laughs> you've, you've gained both ways, uh, and I, you could like you could do a, like you could use this as like a generator or something. Like you could have a person like uh, I'm trying to think how you would do this. Like they could sit on one end of like a seesaw, mm -hmm. and you could have the other end like turning a crank or whatever to generate energy. And they they, they store some weight, they become lighter than the other end, they go up. They they pull they pull they they stop burning it, storing it or, or pull some back and they get heavier and they go down again. They just go up and down forever. Right. And at no point are they doing anything. They're not they're not burning up any metal, right? So that energy is just coming from nowhere. What? <laughs> I I won't even I I'm not gonna right like if 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 they were if they were using if they were burning for strength right they were pulling strength out they would have to spend a while storing it up. So presumably, you could say, the energy to be strong for that brief burst of turning a crank came when they were sorted up earlier, right? I'm not arguing with you. I'm just too <laughs> dense to grasp what you're saying fully. Uh, have, you, have you guys done anything about conservation of energy in physics yet? Probably. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a universal law that you can never have a perpetual motion machine like that. Science is not perhaps my strongest subject, though, so... Yeah, well, like, everything, you know, energy always has to come from somewhere in real life. Uh, and it hadn't occurred to me until now that 
Brandon Sanderson has actually contrived for his magic system, even though it, you know, it's not like realistic in any way. It breaks other sort of like how do I put this? Um, like memories aren't real, right? Like there's not there's not going to be a simple physical process based on copper to pull a memory out of your head and put it back in, for example. Right. Or like the fact that they can sense an emotion and strengthen it. Again, emotions aren't like like you could maybe have that if it would be like equivalent to like a drug or something, but it seems a little more it seems like the sort of thing that's more fuzzy and abstract in real life than it is in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of any other examples. Uh, well, the healing one is a good one. Like we heal based on like certain mechanisms that are built into our body, but we can't regrow a missing arm. Or like if our skin is all burned off, which is something we know happens a little ruler, we can't regrow it. We just aren't equipped to do that. And there's no like there's, there's nothing you can pump into your body that will give you the ability to do that. It's just sort of conceptually like the magic is like oh yeah but they sh we'll we'll take some of their like uh, he did that we know by and retroactively uh, actually mentions this he did that by storing up some of his healing as a fragment and then burning that piece of metal thus getting back more than he put in by destroying some of the metal but like the healing he's storing is like an at the abstract concept of healing it's not anything that's actually in your body. Like, you don't have healing juice in your body that just is the, the concept of healing. And if you had more, you'd be Wolverine. That's not how it works. Could you, like, <laughs> spend time without skin so that at a later point you could spend time with skin? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think they've mentioned uh, storing up healing makes you sick. So it's hmm. like, it's suppressing your immune system, kind of. But, uh, yeah, like, that's, that's more of a fuzzy concept of health, right? It makes you sick to store up some of your health and you pull it back and you've got health back. <laughs> Except but that's not how yeah, health, health works. Health isn't a substance that you can pull out and put back. It's it's a concept that we use to describe how healthy a person is or isn't. <laughs> it's more abstract. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like letters. You know, like you you look at a letter. That's a piece of information, but it's made of ink. You can't pull the concept of the letter out of the ink and just leave the ink behind. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's made of the ink. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a weird conversation. <laughs> I don't know. Um, another one that bugs me, we haven't seen too much of this, but we know that Furukumist can store speed. Yeah. So, How? What, what is that, what are they actually doing there? Like, are, are, are they, like, sped up in time a little bit when they do that? I mean, um, they just have to walk around, like, in slow motion. motion. We know, uh, I, I, I was just looking at the, the notes we have on uh, Alamancy Furukami. I don't recall when we learned this, but it, I've got on there that steel is what they use to store and release speed, which makes an interesting counterpart to iron, which they use for gravity. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I just think that's... Like, there's something there, right? Like, and those are also the metals that Alamancy would use. To sp they can kind of speed themselves up by pushing with steel, right? Yeah. And they can almost make themselves heavier by pulling with iron. So it seems like there's a connection there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it seems like there's something there. I mean, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Again, this is this is one of those places where the magic system is, like, fuzzy and conceptual. Um, but I, I think there's probably... That's probably an intentional connection, right? Like, I don't know what... 
it is, but there's probably something that Brandon Sanderson is, has in his head that makes him think that that's why it, it should be that way. Like, I, I imagine they all connect somehow. Like, uh, well, you know, ADM needs to store age, and ADM messes with time. So that's probably the connection there, right? Like, again, age, age is not a thing that you can store, right? Right. A person getting older is like their cells getting damaged, their hair turning gray. None of those are things that you can just put in to a jar and then pull back out afterwards. Like, they're changes. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you, if you pulled enough youth out, would you turn into a baby and get smaller? Like, we're, we're, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make physical sense. <laughs> um, like, time passing is a thing that happens, but if you reversed... If you were reversing all the processes in your body, then you would, like, forget everything you learned during that time and all that stuff. That's clearly not what's happening. Um. <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't know why I'm... Like, this, obviously, this is, this is magic. Like, right? This is how ma all magic is. Magic is always things that are kind of fuzzy and don't make sense. Um, pretty much always. I mean, if magic made total sense, would it be magic? Yeah, the, the only thing I can ever... I've only I think I ever read one story where magic was totally physical like that. Like, it only worked in, like, physics-y ways. That mm -hmm. was called Ra. It's uh, actually available for free online, although I think there's also a published version. Um, it's a very cool story, but, um, like, that's the premise of the story. It's like, what if magic was physics? Like, it's studied by engineers, and it's just basically a type of physics, but... It's a type of physics that works by you, like, imagining patterns and speak magic words and it causes things to happen. But, like, the things that happen are, like, this amount of kinetic energy is put out in this particular spot or that kind of thing. That, that's kind of what <laughs> I meant. Like, if magic was just physics and stuff, it would just be science. It wouldn't really be magic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically a sci-fi story. I mean, it is, it's a sci-fi story when it is what it really is. But, um, it's a cool sci-fi story. Like, there's a lot of cool, crazy stuff that happens in that story. But, um, it's like you can't easily make like all, all, apart from that one example all magic is going to be like oh yes this is the element of fire we can just conjure it and here's a ball of pure fire with no fuel like mm. if you think about it that's not a thing that can exist no that's the concept of fire removed from it, <laughs> what a fire actually is which is a process <laughs> but you see that in almost everything right <laughs> um but despite the fact that it is magic, it's still clear that Brandon Sanderson is trying to make it somewhat, somewhat more Ground, real feeling. Grounded. Yeah, grounded. Yeah, exactly. He's, tra he's grounding it a little bit. So he's trying. He's trying to to make it not violate conservation of energy, or he was until he accidentally did this. <laughs> but he did realize he did this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he accepted his mistake, having made it. And, you know, understood that. He had, you know, messed up a little bit, but... Yeah, and look, figuring out how to make a perpetual motion machine using magic is like a, a classic nerd thing to do. Because basically any system of magic can do that. Yeah. Uh, because they all break the laws of physics in some way. Uh, <laughs> but, um... Uh, although, with some, as this one, it's not that useful. Like, it would probably not be actually worth someone's time to sit on top of a of Seesaw and just make themselves light and heavy over and over. I, I assume. Like, <laughs> that seems like it would not generate that much actual electricity. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
or it, like, it wouldn't have to be electricity. You could power like a mill with that, but it would take like a team of Furukumists just sitting on it, just sitting on it, <laughs> going up and down. Like <laughs> it, it would be too. It, it wouldn't actually be worth it, but it would still be free energy. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, energy, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you could, you could maybe argue that the energy actually comes from them. Like, maybe they're burning a few calories every time they do that. I don't know... Like, Sasa didn't mention being tired or anything after doing it, though. So, uh, it's probably not true. Um, yeah, I think that was all of their points that I wanted to bring up. Actually, there were a couple of minor things. So, uh, first of all, I expressed some uncertainty about how much Inquisitors can see, but we have seen from the Inquisitor Car's perspective, and he did specifically say, I think you said this in the chat when we were talking about it, but, uh... You can see yeah, the metal Yeah, he specifically bits. says they can see the trace metals in everything, including water, apparently, in the specific image. Um... I think, I think you said water was, was mentioned, but, um... They, they didn't say that, but uh, I, I, I believe. Um... As, as I said at the time, it probably just... Plain things in metal probably just makes them easier to see. That's like, it's like lighting up a room. Um... The question of how Inquisitors heal, because we know an Inquisitor showed up fully healed after being injured. Yeah. Like when Finn filled that guy full of arrowheads that time. Um, I think that might have been Jury Lumen, actually. I think maybe they gave him a little bit of Jury Lumen, and he was burning Peter all the time, as all Inquisitors are, so he just that, like boosted his healing. Hmm. Um, that's just a theory, though. I should probably I should probably put that explicitly on the prediction list. I kind of I kind of always thought that was probably what happened, something along those lines. But um, yeah, I, sh I should have made that more explicit. Uh, and the final thing isn't really something I said. It's just they they talked about something that reminded me of. Um, they talked about when I was talking about having you know hammered words into metal in metalworking class back in the day. Um, of course, if you're a Farukamist, you can do that a lot more easily, because you can pull strength. You can store strength in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, that makes store, carving your words into steel a lot easier, probably a lot more practical. Like, that probably didn't actually take as much, nearly as much time as we were imagining. Yeah. Like, is it, is it still slower than using a pen? Probably, unless he was so strong that he could just, like... I don't, I don't think they could get strong enough to just, like, carve it directly into the steel with, like, their bare hands or something. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, even, like, you know, like, like you know, you can scratch something into steel a little bit, but you'd have to be really strong to carve it in deep enough that it would still be visible after, like, a thousand years. Um, although, having said that, um, I wasn't even going to address this, but Retro Rocket 24 did point out, how is that steel thing still intact? Because steel rusts. So Magic. They, yeah, well, maybe they've just been, like, oiling it or whatever. Like, I feel like you can maintain a steel object for a long time. A thousand years, though. A thousand years does seem a long time. I don't know. Unless they just rewrite it every, like, every while. That's possible, but it kind of... Seems like a bit of an effort. Yeah, it also seems... I don't know. It seems weird with... Actually, he didn't specifically say he was, he was setting it in steel, but theoretically... It could be that what was actually there was not the original, and so it wasn't made of steel. Like, if you were going to yeah. copy it over into a more durable 
long-lasting metal. Yeah, you could put into like I don't know, lots of metals don't don't tarnish that much, right? I don't know specifically, but like there's there's plenty of thousand-year-old uh, metal artifacts. Metal around. things, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it would have to be silvery so that Sasa didn't comment on it, but it could easily be. I I think you could probably do it with tin. Like they could just have been tin. Sasa didn't realize. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's yeah. Everything I think that's we, it possibly have to say uh so that's the end of the episode as always you can reach out to us on twitter at pod young adult our email address is podcast young adult at gmail.com and we post the misborn episodes on r slash misborn on reddit so you can find them there as well and of course we would love to have any positive reviews or thumbs up on whatever your podcasting uh app or website you're using to listen to this is Thank you for listening.